Tech Talk. Hi, I'm Johnny Caput. And I'm Jesse Katz. And you're listening to the Tech Talk podcast series. So in this episode, you'll join us in meeting the creators of music. Music is a clever platform for musicians that enables them to instantly digitize all of their paper music and scores and connect wirelessly to musical instruments, like something from a Disney movie. We're going to meet Aurelia, who's one of the founders, and she explains how they brought their smart concept to the market. Mm-hmm. We also meet with an array of clever innovators, including Dr. Goran Gordon, head of the Curious Robots Lab at Tel Aviv University. Dr. Gordon and his amazing AI robots were programmed by him with no specific instructions or directions. They were taught to self-learn, just like babies. And through their own development, and by the time we arrive, these marvelous beings are teaching me how to do Tai Chi. Quite incredible, don't you think, JK? I do. In fact, I would love to learn Tai Chi. (laughs) If you've ever wondered how AI is going to take over our world, JK, or how we might solve the problems of robots just getting fed up with us lazy, obnoxious humans. I mean, if I was a robot, I'd be down to take over. So would I, and I'm already fed up with us lazy, obnoxious humans. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super excited to hear how these guys made it. Shall we begin? Definitely, let's hit it. The age of paper is almost over, and we've gotten used to typing on our phones or a keyboard, and having vital tools such as Excel and Word to edit and save our documents. However, musicians have still been working with sheet music and printed paper until recently. Enter Music, a Tel Aviv-based startup that have developed a revolutionary system for musicians, composers, and orchestras. I'm about to sit down with the Head of Business Development for Music, Aurelia Azulai. And walking into these amazing offices at WeWork, I'm excited to hear about their remarkable products. So the music team met uh, on stage. We are all musicians. And we just realized that paper was such a constraint because we had to make a lot of markups on paper, print a lot of versions, and then the paper just flies away during the outside performance. So we decided to focus on this beautiful project and to help musicians in their day-to-day life and on performance. And that's why four years ago, we developed uh, the software. The music app is available on the App Store for iPad and iPhone, which is really, really cool for, uh, for musicians because any musician can have access to their scores while they're like on the train with their iPhone or on stage with the iPad. Our long-term vision is to assist orchestras in their digital transitions and help them make the most out of iPads, large screens, and to avoid all the pain through a paper. The music team quickly identified the need for a digital interface and editing tool. If Beethoven could have had access to music, who knows how many more symphonies he could have created. All right, our next stop is Feedvisor. Selling your products online has never been easier, with giants such as eBay and Amazon boasting seller numbers in the millions. This, however, provides a lot of competition, and the real money comes with the sellers who have an edge within this plethora of products. I went to meet with Eyal Langsner, co-founder and CTO, who told me more about the amazing product suite that Feedvisor offers. 
Hey, great to meet you. Thanks to meet you. Thanks for inviting us here to your incredible offices at Feedvisor. Pleasure. So tell me a little bit about Feedvisor's smart e-commerce solution. So Feedvisor helps online sellers sell in various marketplaces. For example, Amazon, eBay. You need to understand that these marketplaces are very, very competitive. You can have for one product that you're selling, a hundred different sellers competing with you. And the only way you can really reach an optimal bottom line, good performance, is if you have a repricing solution that prices your products optimally, always adjusts to the changing arenas and actually do the job while you're sleeping or even doing other things that relate to your business. Our solution knows how to identify the competitive edge of our sellers versus their competitors, and by that, identify the highest prices they can place and still win the sales. Bottom line is that our sellers make double more profit compared to their competitors in the marketplace. What happens on Amazon is that each seller has their own attribute. It can be about ratings, reviews, fulfillment channel, shipping time, and so on. And Amazon ranks different sellers according to these characteristics. So, for example, you can price the same product higher versus your competitor and still be ranked higher and win more sales. Our technology takes that into consideration and identifies the optimal price for each seller for each product. And that may even be with a higher price than his seller, but he'll still make the sale based on you making the right settings for Amazon's environment. Right. Well, Ayal, it certainly sounds like a priceless tool and something that every online seller should be using. I mean, who wouldn't want a robot assistant to optimize their sales and make them more money while they sleep? Thank you so much for inviting us here to see Feedvisor in your offices and explain to us about your solution. We'll certainly be watching your growth over the coming months. Thank you, Johnny. And up next, the future of robots. We're here on campus at the University of Tel Aviv to check out some of the faculties available to technology students. Hi, can you dance? Can I impress you with the Tai Chi dance? Absolutely. You can try and reproduce my movements if you want. I am really proud of this dance. Oh, I found it. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. This amazing AI robot is literally doing Tai Chi before my eyes. He's moving so gracefully and elegantly, I never thought I would see a machine move in such a way. So here we are in the Curious Robots lab with Dr. Goran Gordon to learn a little bit about his Curious Robots today. Hello. Thank you for inviting us here. Thank you for coming and looking at our lab and tons of our robots. So tell us, what are Curious Robots? So the concept of these Curious Robots is actually to have them learn like babies, how they learn by themselves about their own body and the world and the people around them. George. Help me, help you. Motion control. Motion control. Dance. So we don't have any set of rules for the robot. Okay, these are your sensors, these are your motors. Start learning, whatever you can. Actually, in one of my studies, I took like a very simple robot and just programmed it to learn everything it can. And it started actually learning like babies, very uh, surprising things. So for example, it actually learned how to recognize its own body 
by moving its own hand and then recognizing the movement of the hand and it suddenly recognized its own hand. And I didn't program it to learn this. It actually came out just from the interaction with the, its own body and its own senses and it learned how to recognize itself just by itself. George, George, main menu. Just like a child, he doesn't yeah, yeah, I, don't. I know, I said George. George, Hello. motion control. Exercise. I don't have like a set rules of fixing the robot and limiting it. It's just to actually, again, for safety reason, and again, it's not just physical safety, it's also social safety. Again, you don't want to start insulting children or doing anything. So we have a lot of confinement about what's the exploration space, but within that space, we don't tell the robot what to do and how to move and what to learn. Within that space, they're free to... to you need to allow them to remain curious. Exactly. <laughs> It's actually uh, not things that you are uh, talking about. Um, yes. Especially with an Israeli accent. <laughs> it's about other uh, problems. Did you tell us to stop or...? Uh, uh, hopefully. Uh, main menu? That's actually quieting down. <laughs> yeah. The human needs to understand the state of the robot, like we understand mm -hmm. what you're thinking and how you're feeling. Not only the verbal interaction, but also the non-verbal interaction. Although the robots don't have emotions, but they have some state of knowledge or some state of what they're going to do. And in order to convey that to humans, you need to actually have some form of non-verbal communication. Again, expression, gaze, stuff like that. So who do we have here? Yeah, so this robot is called NOW, designed to play with children. And actually try to promote metacognitive skills like curiosity and positive thinking. So we actually designed the games with a tablet, where if you can imagine it, you have like a child playing on a tablet, but instead of a child playing on a tablet alone, it actually plays with the robot. So He's asking to play with him, and he's asking to search for the balloons. Yeah, exactly. So now, now he's going, he's going to have fun with his friend robot in the tablet. And he's very happy that you're going to play with him. So, are you liking what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. All great things take planning. And the newest Tech Talk episodes with all the latest and greatest startups and innovations will appear right here in your feed as soon as they're released. Now, back to our show. We're here with Guy Eisdorfer, one of the co-founders of Shield Docs. Hi, Guy. Hi. Thanks so much for inviting us here Absolutely. today. Absolutely. So please tell us a bit about your uh, intelligent algorithm to protect businesses' documents. Sure. We built Shield Docs because we saw that there is a major issue with document security today in the market, which doesn't work. Uh, we understand that as a business unit, your organization needs to share files internally and externally. And the solutions for protecting your documents today as they are limiting those options. And by limiting those options, you basically hurting the organization to growth or to produce. So if I need to share a document with my partner and it's locked in my organization, completely encrypted, I can't do much. Once we understood that there's a major problem, we went and we started building Shield Docs and we embedded actually artificial intelligence inside to help the work to be simpler. So the users will actually have something that they can use. They won't fight against it because as we know many times, users will try to bypass the security system. They'll send information through their personal email, Gmail's account, through WhatsApp, 
and we want them to feel that this is something that it's very simple, actually helping them to do their job better. There has been three large organizations in the very recent months that have been subject to cyber attacks by malicious hackers across the world. Those being HBO, Game of Thrones, future episodes were held to ransom until they paid the money. The National Health Service in England, the NHS, had millions of patients' data stolen and ransomed. They were blackmailed. All the information would be leaked to the public. Right. And you have Cellcom in Israel that also suffered a, a very malicious hacking attack. And there's numerous other companies across the world. Now, as my understanding, if they had the Shieldocs technology installed on each of these documents, it wouldn't really matter that hackers managed to breach through their servers and get access to their data because the data would be encrypted there wouldn't be any usable data. They wouldn't be able to open it and share it as easily as they, they've done today. You described correctly, it's absolutely right. Uh, if they manage to put their hand on that information, it'll be useless for them. Everything is encrypted and tracked, and they won't be able to do anything with it. So I suppose this also appeals to cloud providers in the same way. Many these days, I know friends and colleagues are apprehensive to store their information in the cloud. Correct. Uh, companies with extranet systems that are accessible outside of their offices are concerned that their data can be hacked, attacked, leaked to the public and so on. So uh, using the Shieldocs technology, they would have peace of mind. Hackers would be able to breach the servers as they do with any level of determination. They can always get inside, but the information would be rendered useless effectively. Correct. We have the ability to protect not only inside your organization, also outside in the cloud. So we know to connect with the major cloud storage services, if it's a public cloud, private cloud, if it's services like Office 365, Microsoft, Google Drive and Dropbox, for example, we know to convert them to smart safes so they'll be really, really more secure. And if somebody hack into those clouds, all your information is going to be protected. Fantastic stuff, really. So thank you so much for having us here in your offices, Guy. Uh, it's been uh, extremely interesting and fascinating to see your technology work firsthand. Uh, we'll certainly be watching your growth and best of luck over the, the next coming months. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now we're going to see Neo. It's a digital art platform where basically you can have moving art on your walls and change it wherever you want. I am so excited about this. Even the art world is being upgraded and aligned to fit in with the technological revolution. That's why we came to see an old friend of mine from London, Rob Anders, who founded a company called Neo. It has a very interesting and engaging new media and digital artwork platform. Hi Rob. Hey Johnny, how are you doing? Great to see you again. Good to see you again, it's been a while and uh, great to have you here to learn a little bit about Tia. Thank you, thank you for having us. So, what can I tell you? So, tell us a little bit about your uh, digital platform for new media and for video formats. So, as you know, I've been in the tech space in Israel for the last 15, 20 years and previously I was the CEO of a display technology company. Everything to do with screens and how they're becoming part of our lives. And throughout that time, I also had a very close friend, Oren, who's the co-founder of this company. And he was developing some of the curriculum of Betzalel, where he's been lecturing the top art and design school. And we had a lot of conversations about the fact that we live in this world where there's a lot of digital content. And we started seeing the way that artists were creating using everything they had available for themselves. And more and more, they're using digital tools to create digital artistic experiences. 
and one thing led to another, um, maybe a little bit too much whiskey, and conversations with lots of artists and galleries and museums and collectors around the world. And we identified what we felt was a significant opportunity to create essentially an ecosystem where we're bringing together artists, galleries, and museums, from established artists to emerging artists, and giving them all of the tools which enable them to both safeguard, but also to then expose and ultimately monetize a wide variety of their digital artworks, and to enable them to be delivered to any type of screen or projector device or VR headset for all different types of audiences around the world. So ultimately, we are looking to own this entire new emerging content sector, which is known as digital art or various other definitions that are used. First, let me say I absolutely love these ones behind us. They are incredible. Um, and some of the other ones you have in the office here, they're incredible. And I get the, the visual effect and the healingness of the content and the, the artwork compared to standard static art. I mean, one of the things that we came here was a challenge to see if people really consider this to be art. And I can very much see, after looking at some of the pieces themselves, how they really have their unique design and style and a level of creativity that can't be done in a static image. Wow, the artwork is incredible, like nothing I've seen before. This was a challenge to see if I found this to be real art, but the stuff is just so incredible and so animated. I really love that I can actually see the art moving because it, it brings the art to life and that's so much of what's missing today. So this is really gorgeous and I love how the water's rippling and the leaves are blowing. Artists have always used technology or any type of tool available to themselves. So even though since the 1960s and the 70s people have been creating video art, we're living in a world today where there is greater accessibility than ever before to all of these creation technology tools whether it's 4K video, whether it's virtual reality, all of these tools which make it easy for people to create, but what they were lacking was an opportunity to expose it. And timing of when this is all viable is really important. Bill Gates, some years ago, had the idea of changing artworks on screens, but this was a time before the internet was powerful enough. We weren't using flat screen TVs. There wasn't the technology tools to create these type of formats. We have 4K video. As you can see here, some of these works are portrait mode, some are landscape. Mm -hmm. We have some cases where you have multiple screens together, a kind of triptych that people are used to to have at home above their couch, you know, but physically. We have interactive artworks, so actually as you walk past them, they react. We have real-time artworks which are being fed some type of information from outside, which means they're actually living and they're never coming to an end. So these are not just like a, a, a looping video. They're effectively unique. You never see the same thing twice because yeah. it's adapting to the elements. They're generative. So part of the tool in the creation process is actually software. And ultimately, we are a software company with a layer of content. So on the one side, we have a cloud infrastructure supported by a variety of patents, which is where the artists or the people who own the artworks upload their master artwork. We're talking about huge files, 500 gig per file. And that goes uploaded onto the cloud, where we have a whole set of proprietary rendering engines which create different copies of that work based on the commercial rules. So for example, the works can be published into limited editions. We apply layers of digital rights management. We have watermarks. All this happens on the cloud. This is where the owner of the artwork is able to manage and define the rules of the work. We then have created a software player which essentially can be used with any type of screen or projector, which turns that device into a dedicated digital canvas. And then from your mobile phone, you can actually pair an unlimited number of those screens and get a kind of Sonos type experience. So in principle, I can sit here with my mobile app and select which artworks on which screen anywhere in the world. 
So I'd be able to then have this voice activated. I can come in and speak to Alexa. Alexa, change the art in my home. So you've got distribution, publishing, licensing, security. Am I right in saying you do offer the hardware element, as in you offer the full installation uh, in various different formats to partners that you work with? We understand that it's critical to make it easy for people. They'll see something and they'll want this in their world. So what we've done is two things. We said, we'll build out partnerships with hardware companies, such as Philips and LG, amongst others, where our software is actually integrated inside their screens and their entire global infrastructure of distributors and installation companies are working with us. And ultimately what that means is that an artist in America can upload an artwork, define the commercial rules, there's six limited editions, the price is $50,000, recommend that it's sold with an 84-inch 4K screen, and then you here in Tel Aviv or in London will be able to click a button, and three days later, wherever you are, someone will actually knock on your door with the screen as well and install it in the world. Give us a little understanding of the business model of the, the business itself. First and foremost, people can buy artworks. Second of all, people can pay a monthly subscription, which gives them access to selections of works. And we're talking about you know, two to three hundred dollars up per month. And in addition to that, we give the opportunity for artworks to be loaned, which is pretty unique, whereby you could be having people over for dinner and have the opportunity to actually loan a $150,000 artwork at the click of a button just for this evening. In some ways, it's this exclusive content game that a lot of people don't understand, a lot of people are scared of. So first and foremost, we want to expose a wider audience. And we think that by being able to give people accessibility in the comfort of their homes or in their workspaces, rather than people having to walk into galleries where they kind of don't really find themselves, we think, second of all, the type of works which are digital are much more appropriate for people who are new to kind of artistic experiences because we're used to this type of content all around us. And then of course, yes, the business models enable people to actually access it and experience it. Similar perhaps to today, people go to a museum and then go into a gift shop and buying an art book. For similar price points, we give people the opportunity to actually experience the real artwork for themselves. Wonderful stuff. Well, I can certainly see you all heading for a visually pleasing future. So we wish you the very best of luck. I hope that you'll invite us back here at a later stage to see how your developments are going. Perhaps we can see some of the installations actually in uh, hotels or building lobbies somewhere across the world and see uh, how people are really enjoying Neo's products. Thanks for coming in today. Absolutely. Thank you. Best of luck. So keep listening for our next episode. We have three wonderful new guests for you. Our first guest is uh, a guy who used to be a fighter pilot in the Israeli Air Force. And actually he was using these augmented reality visors on his helmet, which would give him lots of contextual information whilst flying the plane. Um, and he transitioned that technology to extreme sports. So he's developing snowboarding helmets, uh, skiing helmets, where you get this contextual information on screen, you can contact your friends, you can text people, you can read your phone, and it's all on your visor of your helmet. And of course, there's some safety stuff in there, GPS, really, really cool stuff. Um, our next guest uh, develops a virtual private network, often called a VPN, which, for instance, if you're living in a, a country where you are limited, what you can see on the internet, for instance, Iran, China, um, where it's blocked by the government, you can use this virtual private network to uh, trick the internet into thinking you're in a different location and access uh, freedom of information. 
Our last guest on our next episode is a professor of robotics that has been developing a, a robot soccer team that plays with other robot soccer teams. And actually, he's been on a 30-year journey and has another 30 years chalked up ahead of him. And we're going to have a great talk about the marriage between robots and human beings. I'm sorry, did you say the marriages of robots and human beings? <laughs> I did, Jess. Okay, Johnny. I mean, I knew you were a technophile, but I didn't know how much. <laughs> to what extent, Johnny? Well, you know, I've been spending a lot of time in lockdown with my robot. Um, and I guess, you know, <laughs> marriage might be on the cards. Okay, okay. Well, everyone, be sure to check out season two of Tech Talk, where Johnny marries his own robot. I should be so lucky. I'd like to be your flower girl. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. You may also visit us at electrocast.com. The Tech Talk podcast is a co-production of Tech Talk Media and Electrocast Media. Executive producers are myself, Johnny Kaplan, Ronald Hans, Mark Netter, and Peter Rafelson. Special thanks to our associate producer, Sienna Jackson, our podcast recordist, Adam Kleinberg, and our audio editor, Chris Souza. Join us in our next episode, where we continue our journey to the world's most amazing startups to bring you one step closer to our incredible new technological evolution. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.